Hello, this is Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the virtual church classroom Bible study of Shiloh United Methodist Church, and this is the episode, first episode of a brand new series. This study is going to be a lot of fun. It's based on uh, the Doctor Who television series that's been on the air for 50 plus years, and it is going to be uh, anchored to a really excellent Bible study resource written by Matt Rawl, the, Doctor Sa- the, Do- <laughs> the Salvation of Doctor Who, a small group study connecting Christ and culture. So what we're going to do in this episode, which is uh, episode one being recorded on January 10th, 2020, is we're going to use this book as a reference, but the truth is you really need to get a copy of the book in order to participate in this uh, uh, more effectively. And because I think we owe it to the author to give uh, to give uh, the, the author and the publisher their due. So uh, The Salvation of Doctor Who, a small group study, is available at Amazon. And I've given you links in the description as well as the ISBN number. So make sure that, uh, you know, you support the people who give us the resources that inspire our process. Because we've always maintained that the virtual church classroom of Shiloh United Methodist Church is a uh, just an extension of what we do in the church. So if we were doing this in one of our physical classrooms, we'd all purchase a copy of the book and we would work through it together in order to be blessed. So by doing it this way, Eh, we have to be a little cautious to not violate certain uh, copyright protections and so forth. But the other thing is, is that, that you can't do it the same way when it's one-sided, which is why I'm very fortunate to have my daughter Bethany here with me in the virtual church classroom, because she can at least be one person who can reflect ideas to you. And of course, it doesn't hurt that she is a super Doctor Who fan. I do love Doctor Who. But you know how you got to know it. Mm-hmm. Your daddy, who watched it back when it was on 40 or 50 years ago, back <laughs> on PBS, and usually played on a Saturday night. I'd stay up and watch Doctor Who, and, and uh, uh, you know, then when it kind of rebooted, I heard about it, and I thought, we better check this out, and we haven't missed an episode since, so... Although there is a new episode we haven't watched yet. Well, we'll get into it. <laughs> but um, so we want to begin really by kind of laying the groundwork of the Doctor Who series because the presumption, of course, is that you know something about this television series and why we would bother to reference it. Um, there are certain television programs over the eras of television and even in radio because i'm a big old-time radio fan uh that that become particularly influential and uh iconic and they tend to last longer and uh reach multiple generations and this is certainly the case with doctor who um doctor who's a series that started back in the early 60s around the year i was born and it was a uh, the premise was basically that the doctor was this uh traveler mm-hmm. from a planet called gallifrey so bethany you want to fill them in on just who doctor who is who 
who Doctor Who is. Like who his people are, or... Well, just, just the show, like, the origins of the show. Where did Doctor Who come from, and how did we come to follow his adventures all these years? So, the show was originally supposed to be a children's program on BBC, um, British Broadcasting Corporation, um, the BBC... Uh, but it was supposed to be a children's program, and the idea originally was that if it was going to be a time travel show, it wouldn't be that science-y. It was actually supposed to be, like, a history program. Like, this this j- jolly, benevolent old man character would take, the, take people back into historical events, and that way the kids would be learning something. Um, but as is the case with a lot of different shows, like... Um, this is a weird connection, but Spongebob comes to mind. Mm. Spongebob is the opposite. It was meant to be an adult program. And if you listen to early episodes of that show, you can tell it was meant to be an adult program. But um, for whatever reason, the, the material appealed to a much larger audience than they expected. So in the case of Doctor Who, they figured out really pretty quick that this idea for the show was something that had never been done before mm-hmm. and lots of people were interested. Um, yeah. So the, that's, the, go ahead. Go well, on. I was just, that's kind of the origin story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what's really interesting about Dr. Who is that the reason the show has been able to be on for, I think we're coming up on like 57 years something like that because it was about the same well never it mind came out when i was born so um, actually a year after i was born <laughs> i'm coming up on 58 years um but the reason it's been able to do that is because um the original doctor an actor named william hartnell he was an older man and he didn't want to stay with the show for a long time but the show was really popular and they were going okay but what do we do and they had already created him as this this alien character who looked human. Um, and I hate that I don't know who it was. I think it was Verity and... Um, oh, dang. I can't think of the other producer's name. Let me help you okay. out here. It turns um, out that you are referring to the original creator who was Sidney Newman. And the original showrunner was Verity Lambert. Um, and she's awesome just as an aside because she was one of the first female producers at the BBC that was, and, and she ended up being over the show that was really big. Yeah. Um, but they had this kind of honest to goodness stroke of genius because they realized that they had created this character who was an alien. He had two hearts, which we'll get to more, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was from this other planet that was all about time travel. And they, the, their stroke of genius was, who says the Doctor can't continue to exist as a different character, mm-hmm. but still be the same character? And so when the first actor to portray him was re- kind of ready to move on from the show, they said, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. And they hired someone else. And they created this idea that the Doctor, when he's mortally wounded, can regenerate, where his DNA totally rewrites itself into a different person but he's still the doctor he's still the same personality for the most part um because every every actor obviously brings their own flair but they came up with this really brilliant idea that the show could continue Mm -hmm. um with a different actor and that's why it's been on now for 
57 years and so so hint hint one of the reasons this is a, a valid course of study <laughs> is because you could say that doctor who was written to be the same yesterday today mm -hmm. and tomorrow mm -hmm. even though he appears in different likenesses just an interesting <laughs> aside so as the show evolved like as of today the basic premise of the show is that the doctor is this sort of outside of us but benevolent alien that has a real affinity and affection for humanity mm -hmm. not for not that the, you know there are other races the doctor deeply loves too as the doctor meets them but there's a real affinity for humanity and a love for planet earth. Um, so the gist of the show is that the doctor is this kind, loving character who kind of, it sounds weird to say it this way, but kind of collects certain humans um, that become very dear to the doctor. He really, he really craves human companionship. And needs it because a lot of times what the human companions do for the doctor on the show is um, they act as almost a conscience. Yeah. Um, because the doctor is really awesome, but he is still alien. And there are times where he wants he or she wants to do something very alien. Well, we're going to talk about yeah. that in a minute. Um, okay. So I think you've given them basic premise. But I don't, they go on I don't mean to, I don't mean to cut you off, oh, but, that's okay. but let's move ahead now. So what we have is then. Um, this character who travels through space and time mm -hmm. in a particular vehicle called the TARDIS. Please tell them what TARDIS... Time what... and relative dimension in space. There you go. And the TARDIS was in its uh, original incarnation disguised <laughs> in the early 60s, remember, <laughs> as a police box. Now... To help Americans understand this, you know, in big cities in America back in the 60s, when we didn't have cell phones and radio cars weren't particularly common, where cops walked the beat, one of the ways they stayed in touch with home base was with a phone box, which for American cops usually was just a small thing, like a little phone booth or a phone, like a, a, a apparatus that was screwed to a telephone pole. It wasn't a box or anything. But in the British history... The phone box was a blue box that represented the, the blue of the police uh, force. And it was big enough that an individual police officer could use it to contain one or two uh, criminals that he'd apprehended. And so he could put them in there and lock them in. And then he could, you know, call for backup and they'd bring a truck or something and take them down to the station. So it was a box that was meant to serve many purposes. It was a place where civilians could run to for safety if they were being pursued by a bad guy. But on the front of it, it had a little foam box that was used the same way the American cops used it to call in and, you know, get new, new instructions and report findings and so forth. So that, that was the, the mechanism that they used to disguise the TARDIS. But somehow the disguise part got broken. Mm -hmm. And so it remained a phone box well into the 21st century when they don't use those anymore. And so if there's a real one out there anywhere in England that is a standing representation of its original purpose, it's in a museum. Mm -hmm. But then there's this one that <laughs> Doctor Who has. 
Now, the fascinating thing about Doctor Who's phone box is, well, it's bigger on the inside, on the inside. than it is on the outside. And that's because the TARDIS is not really a machine. It's really, it's a combination of a machine, a living creature, and a portal. It, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, a, it's a space... It exists outside of time and it space. It exists outside of space and time, and when you walk through the door of the police box, you're stepping outside of space and time. Yeah. And so that makes the entire interior... Well, limitless, really. Um, and there's been a great, great deal of fun over the years with the doctors, you know, talking about the various rooms and their purposes oh, yes. and the swimming pool and, you know, mm-hmm. and all these different things. So it's really uh, pretty remarkable. But it basically comes down to the one command station that has remained basically the same for the entire run of the series where they operate the TARDIS Mm -hmm. and use it to transport themselves to different places in space and time. Well, and my favorite thing about the TARDIS is like you said, it's sentient. Yeah. And they can use it to transport themselves to certain places, but more often than not, what happens is the TARDIS says, well, doesn't, it doesn't actually speak, but the TARDIS basically says, no, I know you want to go here, but you're needed here more and sends them somewhere else. Um, it's a little bit like that cart that I always get when I go to the store that wants to go in a certain direction, <laughs> no matter how hard I try to push it in the direction I want to go. Um, so that's that's the basic premise. And then throughout the seasons, the doctors will uh, encounter humans that they will invite to join them in the journey. Mm-hmm. And they will become companions, and the companions will have their own story arc, and and <clears throat> it's really skillfully written, and it's very, uh, uh, it's it's usually very um, timely, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they they often address contemporary issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I will reserve opinions, but you know, I've said while we're watching the show at different times that the BBC. Uh, in my life's experience, remember, you just found out I'm 58. My experience of the BBC is, is they've always been a little bit holier than thou and always been a little bit sure that they're smarter than most of the people in the world, especially us dumb American cowboys with our big guns. And sometimes that stuff comes across in the show, and I don't get too uptight about it, but it's just not hard to notice that they're trying to say something that, well, as much as I enjoy Doctor Who and as much as I see parallels with Christianity at the end of the day, I doubt very seriously that there's a person on the staff of any part of that production that means for you to associate that show with Christianity. It's meant to give a humanist view of how we can have peace and vitality in in existence. That That is my interpretation of their intent now obviously i can't read anybody's mind and i don't know what's really going on in there but that's what i think so so that's the basic premise of the doctor who show at present doctor who is a lady Mm -hmm. and quite a fascinating character and they've done a really fine job of making the transition uh for the first time in the history of the show the the doctor is a woman and and it's been implied that for years and years, like yeah. decades, it's been implied that Gallifrey, Gallifreyans, Time Lords, 
when they regenerate can swap genders, but they've never actually done it with a doctor until yeah. last season. So we're and, in the second season of a female doctor. And what's really interesting is when she when she appeared, um, one of the things that she said in that, in, or, you know, incarnation is for the first thing she said was, oh my, I'm a woman again. Mm-hmm. Meant she meant for us to understand that this is not the first time the doctor has been a woman. We've just never seen so it. So yeah. that that was a that was pretty clever in the in the way that they interpreted and that. And she's terrific. Now let's get on to the Bible study. So mm-hmm. I I thought it would be fun to get into the study using a little uh, classic music here Whee! to help us. So you know. <laughs> can't play anymore because that would be a violation of copyright you know it turns out that at least as far as i know we'll find out i guess one of these days when the mail comes but as far as i know you're okay as long as you don't play more than about 30 seconds of of a song or or a piece of copyrighted material uh so if you want to hear the rest of the doctor who theme song look it up but there you go the doctor who theme song leads us now into the next part of our discussion which is the leading uh the the leadership materials that are provided by matt rawl in the salvation of doctor who bible study so first thing we should do and and you know it occurred to me as i was um looking through this book and realized that throughout the entire last couple of episodes or last couple of studies we've done we, we we did the uh we did the mere christianity book study and then we did it's a wonderful life and do you know we never prayed on one of those episodes mm. i get so focused on doing what i'm doing i pray before i start you can i guarantee you folks that this is not without prayer but it never you know i get going and i'm thinking okay we got to do this we got to do this and we got to tell them that and we got to get it done within an hour and and I get to thinking about all those things when I'm getting ready to do the podcast. And then and then I get started and it never dawns on me that I should lead our class in prayer. I guarantee you that if you were doing this in a literal church classroom, we would pray. So fortunately, Matt Rawl has given us a prayer to pray. And so let's do that now. Lord, as we begin this study, give us wisdom, patience and humility. Thank you for this online group, this family you've made us that's gathered from all over the place, and for the opportunity that we have now to come together and reflect on what we as Christians can learn from popular culture and science fiction. Bless our time together, we pray, that we may learn from Scripture, from stories, and from one another. Amen. So... Here's to making sure we don't forget that anymore and uh, never, ever underestimate the importance and power of prayer. I can't say that enough. So to begin our study, one of the things that we have to look at is, you know, who the doctor is, which we summarized. But to be more specific, 
Uh, Matt Rawl says that identity can be a tricky thing to explain. For example, in the eyes of the Daleks, which is the Doctor's arch enemy, Mm -hmm. uh, the Doctor is a predator and a terrorist. But to those who fear and have been hurt by the Daleks, who are cruel and known for feeling no compassion or remorse, well, the Doctor is a freedom fighter. So who who the Doctor is really just depends on whether you're on his good side or his bad side. So when you think about that, consider then this classic uh, piece of scripture that most, uh, I don't even know if that was the right way to phrase that, but the bottom line is, is most Christians are familiar with the story of Peter's proclamation of who Jesus is. And so remember that there was a, a time recorded in, Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 38, where Jesus has asked his disciples, point blank, who do you say I am? Mm-hmm. And do you remember what some of the answers he got were? Was bleh, what, what were some of the answers he received? Oh, I know the most important one. Yeah, but what some said he was John. Yeah. Some said he was Elijah. You know, so some people recognized that he was unusual and that he even was unusual in a sort of biblical judeo-biblical sort of context and so they were trying to figure out um how to interpret him Mm -hmm. and peter's the one who said you're the christ yeah you're the son of the living god and why do you think that they associated these ideas about Jesus with other than what Peter said? I don't know. I feel like you never think that like big things like that are going to happen in your time. So I think it's easier for them to swallow that it's another prophet than that the Savior that was prophesied. Yeah could be happening in their time yeah i i think you're right i think it's it's always been one of the downsides if you can call it that of being a 21st century christian is we have the benefit of history which is going to come up in the study before Mm -hmm. we're done we have the benefit of history we have a, a a shared collective memory of this story that has so thoroughly infused itself into our Christian character that we know that that Jesus is, you know, we read the scripture and it's kind of like when you're watching a television show and you're trying to tell the character, don't go into the closet, you know, don't you know, run away. You know, you're always telling them that when you're watching the show, but they do what they do because they're, you're not part of their reality. And, when you're reading the Bible, it's the same way. You're reading about how people experienced him for the first time. And, well, it's pretty clear in Scripture that nobody knew what to expect. Mm-hmm. Jesus actually never chastises anybody for not knowing what to expect. He he kind of gives them grace right off the bat by, by acknowledging that he isn't what they expected but now that he's revealed that he is who they expected, mm-hmm. 
they should follow him. And the problem was is that because he wasn't what they expected, some people weren't willing to believe he was who they expected. Yeah. So in a way, the apostles are in a better position because they don't know what they're supposed to be looking for. And I, I always give them a break because the, the answers they were given were, the, the question was, who do the people say I am? So they, they were just saying, well, I've heard some people say they think you're, mm-hmm. you're you know, resurrected John the Baptist. Some people think that you're Elijah, you know, and, and so people acknowledged that he could do these miracles. They could, they acknowledged that he had a profound uh, understanding of scripture and, you know, they acknowledged all these things about him, but because he didn't save the world, you know, what, what if it turns out, and this is where I love the whole time travel premise. What if it turns out that the best way to save the world is to simply move something six inches at some point in the past so that it doesn't become the trigger or the catalyst for a climac- climactic event, almost a climatic, anyway, climactic event. So the whole point is, is that, that, that sometimes we think that the, 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 the salvation comes in the form of the rescuer, the one who comes blazing up on, you know, it, it, it comes with a great huge red fire truck and jumps out with all the gear on and takes the axe and the hose and rushes in and saves you from disaster and puts out the fire. We like rescuers like that because it's easy to identify them and it's easy to get behind their heroics. But what if it turns out that the most important person in let's just go with that house fire analogy. Let's just suppose that someone saved your life simply because um, they were an electrician that you asked to come and do some work for you who discovered that your uh, electrical panel was underrated for what it was drawing at this point. And the, the uh, electrician who's just a regular guy who goes to your church or a gal who goes to your church and, and the electrician just says, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm fixing this for you. But what I'm noticing is, is your electrical panel is 100 amp and you should have a minimum of 200 amps in the 21st century. And I know it's going to be a little costly right now, but I think you might want to seriously consider doing that. You decide to go ahead and take his advice. He upgrades your panel and your life just cruises along and you don't realize that man just saved your life. That electrician woman just saved your life. And they didn't do it by rolling up in a big fire truck and jumping out and putting your house out and saving you from the flames. They did it by preventing the flames from ever happening in the first place. So sometimes we don't realize that the people who prevent disasters are as heroic in their own way as those who respond to disasters. And so I would take it back to Jesus. They think they got a disaster on their hands, yet another foreign government is ruling their land and and uh, oppressing them. And and so they keep thinking, well, you know, God's going to save us from this. And so they're looking for a Moses to come along and devastate this foreign power and then take the people away or to drive away the enemy. And instead he comes and he fixes the real problem. Mm-hmm. He fixes the broken switch. He fixes the the exposed wire he takes the trip hazard out of the pathway before you ever get to it and uh and so on and so on and and so 
it's far more difficult to recognize a hero who doesn't do anything that's hugely heroic. Yeah. And uh, so that, that's my take on it. That's just me talking off the top of my head. So so here's the next thing we know about Doctor Who. He has two hearts. Mm-hmm. Because he's from Gallifrey, he has two hearts. So Matt Rawls says that, uh, and this is where I told you we'd get back to this, Matt Rawls refers to an episode of Doctor Who where the uh, Time Lord himself, that's Doctor Who, he's a Time Lord, suggests that his DNA might be in part human. Now, I was curious about that, so I researched it. Um, because I wasn't, I don't remember that, but sure enough, and you mentioned Verity, uh, back in the 1990s, back in 1996, there was a made for TV movie that was in cooperation between the BBC and Paramount Pictures. And it was meant to relaunch the Doctor Who, uh, series Mm -hmm. and not, not just to relaunch it, but to reboot it. To give it a whole new vibe, which is which worked, by the way, and uh, that's why it's a worldwide phenomenon now. But um, but the movie in '96 basically kind of gathered up all of the truths or all the story arcs is a better way to put it from the series up to that point, and mm-hmm. then kind of repositioned them and sent them forward into what we watch now. And sure enough, there is in that episode, that movie, a statement that Doctor Who makes to the effect of, well, my mother was half human. Or I'm half human on my mother's side, I think is what he actually said. And so from there on, we have this interesting, he has the physiology of a Gallifreyan because he has two hearts. But apparently he might have a dose of human DNA in him somewhere because as I read the research, it, it, it clearly indicates that they've just kind of dropped that. Yeah. But what I always, what I think is cool is like the element of humanity that they, that seems to be him because when you meet other time Lords, there are, there are cool other time Lords for sure. There's some not-so-cool ones, too. But the element of humanity he seems to get from Mm -hmm. his so-called human DNA is empathy. Yeah. Yeah. And when you meet the other Time Lords, you kind of don't see it as much. They're more like... Watchers. Yeah. He, He wants to intervene because he feels empathy for the people who are in these situations, whereas a lot of the other Time Lords are more willing to just kind of observe. You know, I was just thinking that that concept's been visited many, many times in science fiction. Yes. Um, You know, the prime directive Mm -hmm. of Star Trek and so forth. Um, So in the Christian faith, we absolutely affirm the humanity and the deity of Jesus. And so he doesn't have two hearts, but he has two distinct um origins you know he's fully human and fully divine and in his full humanity the way he differs from the doctor is that he has not taken on 
the sin of humanity. Jesus has not absorbed the uh, the ugly side of, of humanity that's been tainted by sin. And so when we think about that, we understand then that when we become Christians, we're invited into his nature in a way. I, I've said this quite a lot lately at church, and I know that it might be kind of hard to follow, but it it's important to remember that being a Christian is not a declaration that you make. Being a Christian is not something you say about yourself. It's something that the Lord says about you. And he really doesn't call you a Christian. The name Christian is a human invention. It's a word that was used to describe the people who followed the teachings of Jesus Christ. What you become when you accept Christ and are born again in the Holy Spirit is like him in your relationship with God. And you are made part of God's family like Jesus. And so, in a very real sense, the Son of God became one of us so that he could lead us and save us to make us one of them. Mm-hmm. And so we're not little gods, and that's not what I mean by that. What it means is, is that we have been made in his likeness in our spiritual nature, but... We remain human. And so what Matt Rawl says is, is, in effect, Christians have two hearts as well. Because we have well, a heart that's that's Jesus, and we have a heart, or, you know, that is our, our, our divine nature. Going back to our C.S. Lewis study, mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis says that, he said that we, in effect, are meant to become little Christs. Yeah. So... Yeah. Maybe we're not gods. Well, we just I just want to resist to dabbling like, in language oh, that absolutely. might sound new agey and so forth. Absolutely. What we're but... talking about is an unfulfilled or, or incomplete transformation. Yeah. We have been born again, but we're far from having reached the likeness of Christ. But we are now sharing the same spiritual DNA that exists in Christ that we basically get a transfusion of our spiritual nature, that our human nature is replaced by a spiritual nature. And so while we remain humans in so many ways, physically and in our human desire to fulfill the flesh and reward the flesh, but we struggle against sin nonetheless because we desire to be more like that nature that is at work inside us, it's like the two hearts, and that, that's what Rawls is driving at. So, you know, um, it comes with risks. Um, there, there are certain risks that the doctor takes because of his compassion for humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the last, well, not the last two, but a couple of the recent uh, doctors basically sacrifice themselves and thus trigger the uh, the regeneration mm-hmm. um, because of their love for humanity you know so they they recognize that they have to do something that only they can do mm-hmm. so the doctor doesn't that sound familiar the doctor has to do something that only the doctor can do in order to cause the deliverance of the people he cares so much about. But like Christ, sort of, he's not gone. He's just transformed or changed. And Jesus, however, is resurrected. That's 
that's like the change that the Apostle Paul says when we will put on our new flesh, when we will become complete. Well, and going back to Christians meant to be coming, to be becoming more like Christ, becoming little Christs. The companions the doctor chooses typically are chosen because they already possess some pretty great qualities, but whether they're on for a season or for a few seasons, they evolve and become more like the doctor. Yeah. And different characters have commented on the companions becoming more like the doctor. And sometimes they say they don't know if it's a good thing or not, but usually it's a good thing because they look at big picture. They look at what basically they're willing to make sacrifices for humanity too. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's very similar in that regard. They become more like that person that they're spending all this time with because they're seeing what, what he's doing. Um, and the impact it has. But. So, the, so the question for our friends out there in the interweb is, how does your heart work together with Christ's heart? How, how are you like the companions beginning to reflect the nature of Christ? How are you beginning to no longer interpret your world in the same way. I have been hitting this hard at church lately that we must recognize that we have a different worldview. And if we don't, we need to get one. Well, I think that's what the whole Christian life is supposed to be about. Right. Is that transformation and sanctification. Yep. So here's here's a, another topic. Um, one of the doctor's most remarkable characteristics is his ability to regenerate when he's on the verge of death, his cells rearranged to create a new body, and his new body is different not only in appearance but also in tastes and attitudes. But what's and, and it makes it hard for the companions because they're not always comfortable with the new incarnation of the doctor. But there are certain aspects of the doctor that never change, and one of them is, is he never forgets a face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He remembers everybody, mm-hmm. everything. And isn't that like Christ, like our Lord God, actually? So, you know, like like the doctor, we're always growing and changing. And when you look back at the early pictures of yourself, do you see the same person that you are today or do you see another person entirely? I mean, <laughs> I can't look at pictures of myself as a lad and see any resemblance to the person I see in my mirror now. Well, I thought that was a really interesting question, especially in the context of this show, because sometimes the doctor's personality seems like it's changed quite a bit. And that can be really jarring for the audience at times. But there's always things that are the same and not just that he doesn't forget a face, but there's, that that core of empathy always runs through even like the do- the the twelfth doctor the one that came right before our current one was kind of crusty and grumpy mm-hmm. and I had some issues with some of his personality stuff but the core of empathy is always there the desire for the greater good is always there and and also there's always this which is kind of sad but beautiful there's always this like underlying feeling that the doctor is just tired 
Hmm. Just exhausted with being the caregiver and yet doesn't won't stop. Right. Which I think is really beautiful. Um, yeah, that's good. Now, but, because where I was going a minute ago was that, that when I look back at that person in in my high school pictures or whatever, I don't see the same person. The flesh has changed considerably, and I think the, the years have, have changed me, you know. Um, and yet, occasionally, I'll have an opportunity to talk with friends from high school and they all laugh because, you know, it's been 40 years since I graduated from high school. And a lot of my closest friends all say that I am exactly who they thought I'd turn out to be. Well, I'm doing what they thought I would end up doing and being who they thought I'd end up being. One of the early debates in psychology, because psychology is not that old a science, one of the early debates and a reason that some psychologists split with each other was all to do with personality because there was just this debate about whether personalities change or whether they're set in stone. Um, which I think is pretty, it's, it's really fascinating if you want to read up on it, but, um, where I come down on it is basically that there are some things in your personality that are, that are set from birth and aren't going to change. That doesn't mean you can't adapt and evolve as a person, but so you may look back and think, well, gee, I'm a lot better than I was in this regard as well, a teenager, but if there's certain aspects of your nature that you're not comfortable with, then you have to learn to adapt and overcome. Mm -hmm. And if there are parts of you that really give others joy and seem to please the Lord and serve the world, you ought to run towards those and not be afraid to be that person, even if it is frightening to you for some reason. That's my opinion. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live now, I live in my body. I live by faith, indeed by the faithfulness of God's Son, who loved me and gave himself for me. So Matt Rawls says, whatever it is you consider to be whatever you see in your mind's eye, wait, whatever it is you consider I to be, whatever you see in your mind's eye when you say your name, whatever the image is, the point is for I to be crucified so that Christ may live within us. In other words, my prayer is that I reflect Jesus Christ. And that's really important because, you know, we've talked about this in other episodes and different topics, but you know, when you get down to it, people are, uh, we all have this weird capacity to be able to look at ourselves in the mirror and see our flesh and our inner being at the same time. We, we talk to our inner being. Um, we, we, we interact with ourselves as though there is a conscious mind and a subconscious mind that can actually talk, which is why I don't think people should feel so bad about talking to themselves. There's a lot of jokes about that, but, um, I think a self-directed life is a good thing. Um, but a lot of people use self-talk to destroy themselves and to tear each, to tear themselves up and they become... Uh, victims of a bully that lives within. Um, 
so when we look at uh, Doctor Who, uh, I uh, I really want people to be sure they read the, the the whole book. But I love the title of this one: "Run, you clever boy, and remember." That's because it's it's a Clara quote, and Clara is like yeah. so so super awesome. Probably my favorite companion so far. Um, so think about friends listening to this elsewhere. Think about what makes you, you. And the question is, is what part of you have you really given to Christ? You know, I've, I've looked for a language for as long as I've been a pastor of churches to describe that person who never misses a Sunday, that person who affirms faith in Christ, who receives the sacraments, who, who serves on committees and everything. And yet you can tell that their life is not submitted to Christ, that they, they have submitted some part of their life to Christ, but it's not, it's not that person. It's not that I. It's, it's some aspect of who they are that they have submitted to Christ. Or I should say, I think they haven't submitted anything. I think what they've done is they've taken some part of their intellectual nature and given intellectual assent to the idea of Christ. Mm -hmm. And... To say that I agree that gravity is a force that should be taken seriously, or to say that I agree electricity is a powerful force that has to be taken seriously because it can do great good or it can do great harm, you know, those are intellectual ascents. Um, the person who has suffered the consequences of defying gravity or being reckless with electricity they've submitted themselves to the power of gravity and to the power of electricity and they have learned to be careful not just because intellectually they agree that it's a good idea but because they know on a personal level why and that's a very bad way of trying to say that's how you can differentiate between the christian who assents to the biblical truth says i agree that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he saves the world and that because of him I'm going to heaven. You agree with that, but you haven't really submitted to his authority and power and, and the power of that truth because that truth in itself, which goes back to what we were saying, when Christ said to Peter, what you've just said is the rock of the church. I, I know there are people who believe that that was Christ's declaration that Peter was the first pope. I'm not going there. I don't share that value, but I don't disrespect you if you do. But the thing I believe is being said clearly by the by the Messiah is now that confession is the one that will make the church, the body of Christ, a reality from now on. That that it's the truth, it's the power of that truth. And and submitting to that power to to change your whole worldview and your view of yourself to surrender to that view that Christ is the son of the living God and that that it is only under his authority that you have a chance and and a, a you know a meaningful future that includes all of eternity okay so what do you think some of the most important learnings are from this particular study? And is there anything that uh, you read in the book that I haven't brought up yet? Well, so 
Raul remind, reminded me, because I had listened to this interview, but he has a snippet of an interview from um, Stephen Moffat, who is was was showrunner for several seasons, but also has written some of some of the best um, episodes of the reboot. But he shares this really great quote, and I'm not going to read the whole quote, but he he, um, in an interview was talking about what's unique about the doctor compared, because basically part of this interview was talking about like how the doctor is akin to a superhero and superheroes obviously are, um, like everywhere Mm -hmm. in the last few years, which I love. I love superheroes, but he points out that the doctor is a really unique superhero because and one thing we haven't talked about is the doctor's tool of choice that he carries everywhere. Sure hmm. Sorry, Siri just decided to talk to me. Um, but the tool that the doctor chooses to carry everywhere is not a weapon. It is a screwdriver. Yeah. Um, he, it's, a, it's a sonic screwdriver, which can do, like, a lot. Um, it can open doors. It can analyze things. It doesn't work on wood, though. For whatever reason, it doesn't like wood. Hmm. Um, but it's, it can, you know, it's. You need the sonic jigsaw. Yeah, for that. you know. Um, but he, but Moffat basically says in this interview that it's really unique that the doctor is the superhero who, instead of having a weapon, carries a tool meant to fix things. Hmm. Um, and that rather than having some kind of unique superpower like laser vision or flying or something like that his superpower is that he regenerates but also that he has these two hearts mm-hmm. um and so you know instead of being a weapon mm-hmm. he's not he he's a fixer he and and we didn't really talk about the fact the doctor picked his name Hmm. He chose that moniker because he has a name and only two people know his name, him and River Song, who's a really cool character, too, um, who happens to be his wife. Um, but except he hasn't figured it out. Yeah. Well, that's just like a whole thing with the time stuff. It's great. great. It's well, that's a Moffat thing. Um, but like the Time Lords, they choose what they want to be called rather than their true names. And I think it's very significant and important to our study because of who Christ is. He could have chosen to be called by any moniker. There's a time Lord that picked the master who wanted to be called the master of all things, you know? Um, But of all the monikers that our particular time Lord could have chosen, he picked the doctor. He picked something that signifies healing and, and empathy and, you know, just um, lots of things that I think our Christ stands for, too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I think you I think you nailed it. Um, so I think we're probably at a good stopping point here. Um, the study guide and listen, here's the recommendation. If this um, Bible study in our virtual church classroom is inspiring you to to get the book and and go deeper find a group of people and do it um 
I haven't said this in a long time, but I used to say pretty regularly that this virtual church classroom is not meant to replace actual church activity. Um, this is supplemental. This is a tool that, that uh, as a pastor of the church, I have created in order to give you something to digest during the week in addition to your regular participation in the life of the church. And I, by, I, by that I mean the church universal, the body of Christ. And so I want, to, I want to make it really clear to you, this is incomplete. There is so much more good stuff in the leader's guide and the student guide in, uh, the, of these materials. So I've given you instructions on how to get the books. I recommend you get them, and I recommend that you form a group somewhere in your church or among friends, uh, do it on a lunch break at, at work or whatever, um, because, you know, a lot of people you know are talking about Doctor Who. And what if you could say, you know what, there's a cool study that we're doing at our church that's about Doctor Who. Now, how many people do you know who aren't involved in church are going to say, I didn't know Doctor Who was something you could talk about at church. Now we can talk about all kinds of things at church. Mm-hmm. So just understand that we want you to use this podcast as a tool to keep your spirit moving in a good direction throughout the week. But you must... You must take the, you know, your own initiative and, and take it a little bit further. Make time to be a part of Sunday school classes, weeknight programs and classes, home groups, um, worship on Sunday, listen to the Word of God, sing God's praises. These are all things that are really an important part and nothing so important as prayer. You must talk with God regularly. So I want to urge you to... Make your Christian living something you do every day. And it doesn't mean that you turn into some weird, um, hyper-religious person. It actually just means that, like the companions, you begin to see the world in a different way and your priorities start to change. And it all begins by fueling your mind with the things of the Lord more often than for an hour on Sunday morning or even less than that. So that's what we're trying to do here is provide you with fuel. I want to thank you for listening. It's been a real pleasure and it's an honor, quite honestly. We always love to hear from you. It would be great to know where you're listening from and how this has blessed you. Um, If you are a member of the Shiloh Church and you're doing this, I thank you. And be sure and let me know you're listening. If you are listening outside of the church here at Jasper, Indiana, Well, if you're not too far away, come see us. We'd be glad to see you. Just visit the church's website to get started on the journey. Go to shilohum.org, shilohum.org, and we'll be glad to connect up with you and help in any way we can to serve you. For now, I want to thank you for listening and wish you God's blessings as we say goodbye. Bye.